0: RTHK.
1: Radio three live on the web
2: rthk.org.hk Money Talk and a very good morning to you. It's eight oh three in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to the final Money Talk of the Week on Friday, the third of February. This is Peter Lewis with an update on the business and finance headlines. The European Central Bank has lifted interest rates by half a percentage point and said it intended to replicate the move at its next meeting in March. The increase takes the ECB's deposit rate to 2.5%, the highest since the global financial crisis. And the Bank of England has also raised interest rates to a 14-year high and said a UK recession is likely to be shorter and less severe than it previously predicted. The Bank of England increased its key interest rate by 50 basis points to 4%, in line with expectations, but indicated that UK interest rates could be nearing a peak. And the Hong Kong Monetary Authority on Tuesday raised its base rate to a 15-year high of 5% from quarter percent mirroring the Fed's 25 basis point increase. It's the smallest increase in the base rate since May 2022, offering some hope that the current rate hiking cycle may be nearing completion. And following the increase, Hong Kong's six main lenders kept loan costs steady. Hong Kong chief executive John Lee launched yesterday a two billion Hong Kong dollar Hello Hong Kong campaign to lure visitors back to the city. As part of the global promotion drive, Hong Kong will give away half a million airline tickets. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said the free airline tickets campaign will have a multiplier effect so visitors can come to Hong Kong, consume and boost the city's economy. The Hong Kong Tourism Board will give away at least 1 million spending vouchers under the title Hong Kong Goodies to use on attractions in stores and on food and beverage and transportation. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Dong Chen from Pictet Wealth Management. With a view from India is Toby Lawson at Staten Advice. And just a reminder of the ways in which you can get in contact, text 6393 5925. Email MoneyTalk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 and on Twitter at MoneyTalk Radio, Money Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks and bonds rose as investors bet that interest rates are close to a peak. The S&P 500 rose to its highest level in five months, jumping one and a half percent to 4,180. The Dow underperformed, falling 39 points or 0.1% to 34,054. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 3.3% to 12,201. That's its highest level since September. The tech rebound was led by shares of Facebook owner Meta platforms, which rocketed 23% higher in their best day in a decade. The social media giant on Wednesday reported better-than-expected sales, cut its 2023 expenses outlook by 5 billion dollars, and announced a new 40 billion dollar share buyback plan. After the closing bell, Apple reported that sales for the final quarter of 2022 were 5% lower than last year. That's the first quarterly sales decline since 2019. Apple CEO Tim Cook said three factors impacted the results: a strong dollar, production issues in China affecting the iPhone 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max and the overall macroeconomic environments. Shares of Apple fell 2% in after hours trading. Amazon shares dropped 4% in after hours trading after beating analyst sales estimates but providing light guidance for the current quarter. And shares of Alphabet fell 4.5% after the closing bell after missing on both the top and bottom lines and advertising revenues falling short of expectations. The Pan European Stock 600 index jumped 1.4% higher. London's FTSE 100 rose three quarters of a percent. Shares of energy giant Shell fell one and a quarter percent, despite reporting a record annual profit for 2022 of almost $40 billion, well beating market expectations. And that's the largest profit ever made by a UK company. Hong Kong stocks gained initially after the US Federal Reserve slowed its pace of interest rate hikes to 25 basis points. But the advance had evaporated in the afternoon session. At the high of the day, the Hang Seng Index had climbed 240 points, but it closed 114 points or half a percent lower at 21,958. The tech index ended the day unchanged. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index was also flat. In India, the rout in shares of Adani Group companies continued yesterday, wiping out $107 billion in market value of companies in the conglomerate over the past week. That's one of the biggest share wipeouts in history. Shares of Adani Group companies tumbled further in Mumbai after the founder of India's Adani Group, Gautam Adani, dramatically called off a $2.5 billion share sale in his flagship firm, Adani Enterprises. On Thursday, Adani Enterprises fell another 25% in Mumbai, following a record 28% plunge plunge the previous day and taking its losses since the beginning of the year to almost 60%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil dropped 1% to $82.17 a barrel. Gold ended the day 2% lower at $1,913 an ounce, erasing all of yesterday's gains. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield fell one basis point to 3.4 percent and the 10-year German Bund yield fell 18 basis points to 2.07 percent following the ECB's half a percentage point rate rise. And that's the biggest fall in German yields since 2011. The euro slipped 0.7 percent to $1.09. Sterling weakened following the Bank of England's 50 basis point rate rise. The British pound slipped over 1% to $1.22 and a third cents and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 59 cents. The Japanese yen is trading at 128.75 versus the dollar. And offshore Chinese yuan is at 6.73 and a half against the dollar. And Bitcoin this morning trading around $23,400. Mixed picture for Asia Pacific stock markets at the open the SX200 in Australia up a quarter percent, uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan up about 0.3 percent, the Cosby in South Korea is down about 0.2 percent, and futures markets indicating for a fall of about 200 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. <laughs> The time's 8.10, and let's welcome our guests on the phone. Still in Uruguay is our regular Friday morning commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew.
3: Good morning to you, Peter, and welcome back.
2: Thank you very much indeed. Nice to be back. And also with us in our Queensway studio, we have Dong Chen, who is head of Asia Macroeconomic Research at Pictet Wealth Management. Morning, Dong. Good morning. Um, let's start here in Hong Kong. First of all, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised its base rate to a 15-year high of 5% from four and three-quarter percent That mirrors the Fed's 25 basis points increase. It is the smallest increase in the base rate since last May. So some people are hoping that the current rate hiking cycle may be nearing completion. Andrew, are, the, are those hopes likely to come true? No, absolutely not, for a very, very simple reason. If you just simply look at the current rate of inflation, in
3: the three major countries, including, of course, the United States. In the United States, the calendar rate of inflation is about 6.5%. Mm. The interest rates are 4.5%, so real interest rates are still negative. Ditto, in the UK, 10.5% inflation, 4% interest rates. And in European inflation, 8.5%, 2.5% interest rates. You know, they're not anywhere near of finishing, and I'm not suggesting one moment that they are looking for positive or zero real interest rates, okay, because these are simply nominal, notional ideas, but they are very, very important
2: to the extent that monetary policies in three countries, in the three countries, is still quite loose. So interest rates here um, are at 5%. The prime rates did remain unchanged. HSBC, Bank of China, Hang Seng have got prime rates at 5.6255%. Standard Chartered, Bank of East Asia, Citibank got their prime rate at 5.875%. How high do you think they're going to go? Well, Peter, the tragic thing about it is, it doesn't matter what Hong Kong inflation is. Before all,
3: I care is zero, mm. it's even minus. Has no but, yeah, choice, it's paper does it? The that matters. Yeah. So, yeah, it's no choice. So you know, there's no point. That's why I didn't bother to tell you. And real interest rates in Hong Kong are. So what?
2: Mm. <laughs> so we we got have the, to follow
3: we, whatever the Americans are doing. So yeah. we
2: got the base rate at five percent. It's obviously, as you say, got to follow the Fed. So where where do you think we're going to get to?
3: Uh, I reckon. That the way the two curves are converging kind of thing, uh, I think the Fed may have, uh, gosh, perhaps a
2: minimum of another 75 basis points to go up. Minimum. Okay. Well, Don, what what do you think? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, our current uh, expectation is another fifty basis points increase from here, so another basically two twenty-five basis point hike. But I think at this point, the market probably is, you know, very much disconnect with the messaging from the uh, from the Fed, especially in terms of expectation of a rate cut by the end mm. of the year. You know, market clearly is pricing in rate cut, but. You know come up right? and we, we, yeah, we do not think so, okay. because, as I think as the other guests just mentioned, you know, look at the real interest rate we 're nowhere close to you know restrictive
2: well, we had this surge haven 't we, in stocks in the u s since Jerome Powell uh, announced the cut, and in fact, the more he spoke in his press conference, the more stocks seemed to go up, so they took his statement has been quite dovish. I think the thing they focused on was his comment that the disinflation process has started. And And I think investors took that as a sign that maybe we're getting near a peak. But if the disinflation process has started, surely it's got a long way to go yet, hasn't it, to get down to the Fed's targets of 2%.
1: And especially on the services sector, I mean, I think the key, there There are two, at least two main sources of uncertainties here. Number one is, you know, looking at what the, the, the Fed has been doing, you know, over the past one year, you know, very aggressive rate hike, and to what extent that lagging impact is going to reflect on the economy. That's quite uncertain. The second thing I think very important is that, you know, the, how sticky the services uh, inflation could be. And I think there are a lot of questions there. And I think it's kind of premature for the market just to presume that, you know, rate hike cycle will be, you know, and Mm -hmm. and more importantly, there will be cutting. I think that's the crucial difference here.
2: Andrew, this, this rate hike in Hong Kong has come, obviously, when uh, we've had this GDP data out this week. GDP contracted 4.2% in the fourth quarter, much worse than what economists were th- uh, expecting. And also, more worryingly, the previous quarter was also revised to show a bigger contraction of 4.6%. And then for 2022 as a whole, that was also a big miss. The economy contracting by a bigger than expected 3.5%. So what is the impact going to be on the economy of of further rate rises here in Hong Kong?
3: Well, you know, I'm going to get the Nobel Prize by telling you it's not going to be good. Now, (laughs) I'm much, 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 much more concerned with the... Uh, good news, good-feel effect of lifting of all the travel restrictions.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: because, unfortunately, this is going to be a one-off. In other words, for this to make some real difference, oh, God, Peter, it's terribly boring. At the peak, Hong Kong had 55 million, I'll say that again slowly, million tourists visiting. Okay, of which 75% were from China. Uh, for us to begin to say, hey, we're well, on the way up, is <laughs> they will have to go up every month by 4.5 million arrivals. Come on, this is just not going to happen. Okay, or if it's going to happen, it's going to happen very slowly. Hence, the restaurant sector, the services sector, the retail sales sector is still going to move very, very slowly. So, I am afraid I would not be at all surprised if Hong Kong ends up for the year 23 with an incredibly
2: low GDP growth
3: rate, Well, we, Paul, meaning, mean, meaning even 1%
2: if we are lucky. Well, Paul Chatton, the financial secretary, he might agree with you because he did say this week yeah. the recovery isn't fast and strong enough, but there is a recovery, isn't there? Do you think we've now reached the bottom and we are going to see a recovery, albeit maybe a shallow one? Uh,
3: you know, the, the recovery simply means a kind of a deceleration in uh, in the wrong uh, bits of uh, of economic data, and I'm afraid we don't see this. If you think about this, we have minus 3.9, minus 1.2, minus 4.6, minus 4.2. It doesn't look as if it is going out. Mm. Okay. I'm talking about I'm talking about year on year uh, GDP growth. No, all these are backward looking. Okay, hence I'm looking forward by saying, okay, what are the good news? Hey, no more travel restrictions. Good. Where is 4.5 million tourists arriving every year, every month? Okay, and you divide that by 30, you're going to have some pretty spectacular numbers.
2: Okay, yeah, well, it's not. It's just not going to happen. Dong, what do you think? Would you think we're going to see a tourist boom now that the borders are reopening? Um, that's going to help uh, Hong Kong's economy recover.
1: Yeah, it's going to help on the margin, I mean, but uh, I definitely agree, this will be a gradual process, you know, and you also have to think some structural uh, factors, I mean, you have to, uh, we have to ask ourselves, do Chinese mainland visitors, do you think that they're going to come back, I mean, at certain time point in the future? to the peak number as we saw in 2018, Mm. well, I think that is a big, big question mark, right? Because of political reasons, because of the perception about Hong Kong, that could be a structural different story. But there are also some hope, I think, out there, you know, because I think at this point, another very important factor weighing on uh, the Hong Kong economy is the population outflow. And uh, we we know that number is massive, you know, roughly 200,000 people left Hong Kong. But uh, people don't realize that in Singapore, you know, everybody's saying that Singapore is on fire right now, but you, people don't realize that in 2021, Singapore also experienced more than 200,000 people outflow. Right, But in 2020, uh, 2022, that 180,000 people came back. So, of course, I'm not saying that the same thing is going to happen to Hong Kong, but to what extent some of the... uh, outbound migration could eventually return, that's still a question, so there is still hope. Okay, now while we've been talking, an email has come flooding
2: in. Um, If you want to email us, moneytalk.rthk.hk is our address. It comes from Mary M. She says, Hi Peter. How about a discussion on how Hong Kong deposit interest goes down when interest rates fall, but when rates go up, they remain unchanged. She says Standard Chartered is still paying 0.001% on deposits in foreign currencies. And that's from Mary. Now, I did check, Mary, that it is true, but if you deposit in Hong Kong dollars, you can get a, a higher rate of around 0. Uh, 0.65%, although that's not going to make you rich. But, Andrew, um, what's your answer to Mary's question?
3: Absolutely. Actually, incredibly straightforward. I'm sorry. It's not that uh, I know better. Uh, (laughs) I simply know. Bank rate differentials, okay, reflects two things. It reflects how much the banks will need in general to be making versus uh, how much in general they will need to be paying. And, of course, the background to that is always the fallback position that should the banks even overnight need to borrow okay then uh, the interest rates are going to be quite high because uh, of, of the peg now they don't need to raise deposit rates it's as so simple mm-hmm. as that so I mean unfortunately the banks always make more money when interest rates are going up. Mm-hmm. Dom, it's as so
2: simple as that <laughs> Dom, this is a factor all over the world isn't it when uh, when interest rates yeah, go in up actual, banks uh, exactly. interest margins banks go make, up as well make more money yeah. Dong, i mean that's uh, i mean that's the case everywhere isn't it not just hong kong
1: of course that that's why you want to be positive financial in a in a uh, interest rising high cycle mm
2: Now, Hong Kong chief executive John Lee launched a two billion Hong Kong dollar campaign called Hello Hong Kong to lure visitors back to the city. It's part of the promotion drive. Hong Kong's going to give away half a million airline tickets starting from March the 1st. The campaign will last for around six months. Hong Kong residents will be allocated 80,000 free tickets and another 80,000 to visitors from the Greater Bay Area. Uh, um, And also local businesses. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be joining in. The Hong Kong Tourism Board will work with local businesses, businesses and offer a range of free perks, such as free welcome drinks in restaurants and bars across the city. And the Tourism Board will give away at least one million spending vouchers under the title Hong Kong Goodies to Use on Attractions in Stores and on Food and Beverage and Transportation. Dong, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, again, just as I said, the, the inbounding tourists, they are very, very important. So you look at the business in January. You know, so at, at that time, the border is open. But you guess what? The local government, uh, the, sorry, local businesses actually suffer because, you know, Hong Kong people are flocking to other countries, including Japan, Southeast Asia, you know, many other places. So... Yes, the, I think the Hong Kong government is doing the right thing in trying to subsidising and attracting yeah. uh, tourists. Uh, but uh, how successful that will be remains to be seen. Let's hope it works. It does also send yeah. a
2: signal, doesn't it, that the Hong Kong government's very focused on the economy and, in particular, reviving uh, the tourism sector, which must be the right thing to do because it's a big part of our economy.
1: I absolutely agree. Uh,
3: without without uh, being being
1: ungrateful
3: uh, for example how about removing masks okay i can tell you this will be quite irksome for anybody that will be coming out from europe that will have to be wearing masks in public places this isn't uh, this isn't uh, i know i know it is much much better than obligatory rat tests and uh, and quarantines but this is a reminder that things are not 100 percent back to normal Mm. again and there are slightly if one reads the small print which i have in detail if somebody is found to be suffering from covid in hong kong authorities still have the right not to close him up or her into into a hospital okay but uh, let's say to suggest management Mm.
0: do you think it puts people off
3: if i go in london and i sound hey guys i've got covid they will look with utter indifference.
2: <laughs> do, do, you think, um, do you think this puts people off? I mean, I have to say, personally, I noticed having been away for eight weeks and not having to wear a mask at all, you do notice it when you come here and have to start wearing a mask again, but do you think it puts people off coming to Hong Kong? Well, it, it might not put people off, but they will say, hang on a minute, things are still
3: not normal in Hong Kong.
4: Mm.
3: Okay, never mind what what they're saying. And I think it is sad because... Having lifted practically all the travel restrictions, okay, this insistence on the mask, which is medically correct, unfortunately and incidentally, people wear masks because they think they protect themselves. No, they don't. They protect other people. Okay, the mask is not going to stop you from breathing in the virus. It will stop you partially from sneezing and spreading it onto other people. Mm. Okay, this is this is a a rather strange, uh, uh, let's say. Sort of. No, uh, oh, I'm trying to think. I don't want to call it friendly towards other people. Okay, but it is. Uh, it is. It is not really understood why masks are there. Mm. it's Dong, not um, to protect you it's to protect other people
2: Dong, f- Dong final word to you because we're running out of time the 500,000 ticket giveaway this could have as Paul Chan says a multiplier effect presumably because you bring in more people with you maybe and then of course you start spending here in Hong Kong this is seems a good idea doesn't it we've got to try and do something to encourage people
1: to come back uh, yeah, and another important uh, effect is a signaling effect, right? It's basically telling the, the entire world that we're back to business. That's mm. a very important message.
2: Okay, well, good news indeed, uh, and we hope obviously we'll keep you updated on that uh, that big promotion. Uh, one of the biggest welcome promotions in history, as John Lee says. Thank you very much, Dong Chen, head of Asia macroeconomic research at Pictay Wealth Management. Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory.
4: 8.25
2: on the phone is Toby Lawson, Director of Staten Advice. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Now, what a week it's been in India. Two big pieces of news here. First of all, the Adani Group, this big wipeout in the um, in the shares of the Adani Group companies. Almost $108 billion wiped off the value of the 10 listed companies in about one week. And of course, um, Adani, who founded the company has seen his own personal wealth um, almost um, down well down about fifty billion dollars. He was Asia's richest man, not anymore um, apparently. Um, Toby, first of all, give us a, a, just a bit of a uh, an insight into the Adani Group because this is a huge company, isn't it? A huge conglomerate.
4: Yeah, it's a huge conglomerate, and and you know clearly one of the the biggest, uh, both from a listed perspective and from a, a pure conglomerate perspective in India. And you can put it a, the likes of Reliance and Tata as sort of equivalents, and grown uh, enormously in recent years. You know, the growth profile of the Adani Group, um, uh, as a as a as a multi-industrial uh, conglomerate, has been almost off the charts. Not only reflected in its share price, but also in its activities, and it's really you know, diversified quite strongly into uh, ports, air airports, uh, into other infrastructure, into green fire, uh, energy. Um, it's a huge player. Uh, I think it's second only in terms of uh, its renewable footprint in, in India. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a significant player. Uh, and it has grown enormously uh, in a very short period of time in a relative sense to, if you put it effectively, against Reliance and Tata, the two other uh, main competitors in that sense.
2: Now, what has rocked the firm is this um, report from short-selling firm Hindenburg Research. They allege a two-year investigation found what they call brazen stock manipulation and accounting fraud. Uh, They've also flagged concerns about the use of tax havens and the substantial debt at the group. Now, Mr Adani rejects those allegations. He says they're selective misinformation and stale, baseless and discredited allegations. And he says they're an attack on India itself. Nevertheless, they have been hit a bit of a raw nerve haven't they because there has been concern for several years now about just the speed in which the adani group has grown and in particular the amount of debt it's accumulated uh during that time i saw um i think the ft was uh, was reporting that it's uh accumulated about 30 billion dollars of debt so this is a bit of a worry isn't it it has been for a while yeah so
4: the topic itself is probably not new in relation uh, so i haven't read the hindenburg report but you know over the of the years, whether it's from a politically motivated perspective or not, or whether it's reasonable in terms of, there's been uh, often some speculation, some noise around how Adani's grown and and how its uh, the interoperability of its uh, of its uh, operating companies and cross shareholdings etc. And periodically it comes up in the news. There is that political element, given that Adani was very close uh, to Modi in the in the Gujarat uh, days. Um, so that that's not new news. What really is the issue for the market now? is because of this report and because of the impact on um, uh, the share price uh, of the Adani group, is how can and how will uh, Adani refinance uh, its debts, its very high debts, at a time when the market is maybe, you know, where the banks and the other uh, creditors are not necessarily interested in either refinancing or extending new credit to a company that still requires significant debt to to grow and to achieve its uh, its outcomes. So I think that's where the market is probably reacting not so much to the news itself about Ford, but actually the impact of the reduction in value that would then question whether they can actually refinance their debt sufficient to achieve their outcomes.
2: Now, the, the other aspect of this is the impact it's had on the Indian market itself and investor perceptions of Indian um, companies. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Indian markets was one of the top five um, biggest emerging markets um, until this, but it's been dragged down, of course, by by the share price decline of these companies. Do you think it has damaged the market overall and in investor perceptions of of the Indian market and its companies?
4: Well, I think foreign investors are getting more and more comfortable with India. You know, you've seen the ease of doing business index improve. The government is quite clear on on uh, microeconomic reform. Uh, over the period, we've seen improvements in banking and insolvency code. So, the direction is stronger in India, but. There is still, I guess, some unconscious bias that exists outside of India about, you know, corruption, uh, being endemic within the corporate sector, um, you know, vested interests too tied to politics, etc. So the Adani news sort of brings that back into the, the forefront and, and uh, re-highlights those that see it as, a, as an endemic problem in India. Um, so, yes, it has an, uh, an overall impact on the, on the market, not specific to Adani. And it plays to that unconscious bias that probably exists still to some extent within the the foreign investment community about India's corporate governance, uh, where I would say from my experience it's improved enormously, but there's still a fair way to go.
2: Toby, thank you very much indeed for that and have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who's Director at Staten Advice. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3 final look at how markets in asia pacific are performing uh this morning in australia the asx 200 is up about 0.4 percent the nikkei 225 in japan up a third of a percent uh the cosby in south korea is down off about 0.2 percent and futures markets are pointing to a decline of about 170 points for the hang Seng at the open this morning thank you very much for listening this morning I'll be back on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay tuned to Back Chat after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy with sunny intervals. One or two rain patches later, maximum temperature is going to be about 22 degrees. And then the outlook is for it to be windier and cool with one or two rain patches in the next couple of days. Temperature right now, uh, 17 degrees, 78% relative humidity. There is a strong monsoon signal in force this morning. <laughs> With the news, here's Barry O'Rourke.
0: A hospitality management expert says he hopes the government will initially focus on attracting mainland tourists when giving out the 500,000 free air tickets announced by Chief Executive John Lee yesterday. Raymond su from the Caritas Institute of Higher Education was commenting after the launch of the Hello Hong Kong campaign. He noted that before the pandemic, over 80% of the tourists in Hong Kong came from the mainland. He says even with the relaxation of COVID measures, it'll be hard for the sector to return to pre-pandemic levels this year so officials should prioritize short-haul tourism.
4: It should be a worldwide campaign because the tourist market cannot heavily rely on only one or two markets so I think the government or the Hong Kong Tourism Board according to the number of arrival, they will invest in resources accordingly. It may take some time to promote the long-haul market so probably for priority they will put in the China market and also the Asian market as well.
0: A high-profile prisoner held at Guantanamo Bay has been resettled in Belize. Majid Khan, a Pakistani citizen who went to school in the U.S., had admitted working with al-Qaeda and later turned U.S. government informer. The BBC's Nada Torfik has more.
3: Majid Khan attended school in the U.S. state of Maryland, but after the September 11th attacks, he returned to Pakistan to join Al-Qaeda. He was captured in Karachi in 2003 and tortured at a CIA black site. He was waterboarded, raped, deprived of food and sleep, and hung from his hands naked for days. This went on for three years, despite admitting early on to what he had done until he was transferred to Guantanamo Bay.
0: The British company Shell has become the latest oil and gas giant to post record profits as UK households struggle to pay their energy bills. Shell made 40 billion US dollars last year after Russia's war in Ukraine sent prices soaring. Opposition parties in Britain are demanding the government impose a much higher windfall tax on the company, although 95% of Shell's earnings come from outside the UK. Rachel Reeves is the opposition Labour Party spokeswoman on the economy. It is
1: just wrong that companies like Shell are making billions and billions of profits at the same time that people are experiencing huge energy bills, many of which they just frankly can't pay. And that's why we've said that we would extend the uh, windfall tax and ensure that companies like Shell, but others as well, pay their
0: fair share of tax. And finally, a convicted Italian mafia killer on the run since 2006 has been caught in France after hiding in plain sight as a pizza chef for at least three years. Edgardo Greco's capture in Saint-Etienne follows the arrest of another senior mafia figure, Matteo Messina-Denaro, last month. He had been on the run for 30 years when he was detained on a visit to a cancer clinic in Sicily. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK.